Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to the Tip Jar Podcast. Today's guest is Brandon Bedoya. Welcome to the Tip Jar, Brandon. Hey, thanks for having me. Just to start us off, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and maybe the projects that you're currently involved in? Sure. Uh, quick overview. My name is Brandon. I'm a third-year student at Florida International University down in Miami, um, studying business analytics and MIS. Um, some of my background, I guess I have a little bit of background in personal finance and corporate finance. Um, last summer, I worked at Citi, and this summer, I'm working at Google as an associate financial analyst. I wanted to dive in because what I found interesting is that your grandparents immigrated to the U.S. from Cuba. That got me kind of curious in terms of you being a first-generation Hispanic student. How have you had to navigate personal finance topics? Well, a lot of uncertainty. Like, I guess when you don't have a background there, um, and you don't really have, like, your family that you can ask, um, it's a lot of, you know, Googling stuff, um, meeting people, picking their brains. Like, it's been a journey of just, like, being curious and uh, not liking the feeling of feeling like, you know, for example, a financial advisor would have like significant power over me because they know so much more. Um, that would really frustrate me. So I'd be like, okay, no, I don't like this. I want to like go out of my way to learn. And yeah, it's been pretty much just a journey over the last three or four years or so. Yeah, I like how you mentioned it's a journey. And with your background being studying business analytics and also management information systems, you definitely have like a solid grounding for business topics. But I was curious to know like, Earlier on, before you studied, how have your parents made an impact on your per- personal finance habits? Definitely. Um, I would say on the investing side, not at all. Like my family didn't really, I mean, maybe now they know, but uh, back then they didn't know anything about like investing or whatever. Like their idea of investing was, you know, put money into a savings account, into a CD. Um, but the thing that I do attribute to them is like having a strong habit of saving money and trying not to like, spend money unnecessarily. I think that's something that I kind of grew up with, um, especially like with my grandparents, like they're very much like uh, accustomed to not spending money unnecessarily. So that's something I kind of grew up with and I guess I still use today. Yeah, I think that's a solid habit to have, just being able to save and also not upgrading your lifestyle too much. Even though if you gain a lot of money, you're still trying to be constant with it. You had an interesting experience with Robert Kiyosaki. Could you kind of tell our listeners a little bit about that experience and how that went? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm sure a lot of the listeners have heard of the book Rich Dad Poor Dad. Um, so it's a book by Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, he just talks about like just different ideologies in terms of like how to, I guess, go from being an employee uh, to being like an investor or a business owner. Um, long story short, I was like 18 or so, 17, 18, somewhere around there. Um, I was, you know, Googling Rich Dad Poor Dad, then I had some ads come in for like an event and I thought they had Robert's face. So I was like, oh, cool. You know, Robert Kiyosaki's coming to speak at like a city nearby. Like, yeah, let me go. Um, I ended up going because, you know, I was hungry. I uh, wanted to learn. So I was pretty much taking any opportunities that would come my way. Um, went there and I was pretty disappointed. Um, number one, Robert wasn't there. And number two, it was like uh, a pay to play sort of thing where every like they would give you nuggets of information and then they'd be like if you want to learn more you know pay fifteen thousand dollars for this program and we'll mentor you and blah 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 and i was just like yeah i don't like this like mentorship should not be paid like you shouldn't be paying 
thousands of dollars to you know learn from somebody so yeah didn't have a good experience but nonetheless uh i learned right like i think it was important because uh, i think when you go through things like that early on uh you can kind of spot out like things that might not be legitimate or you know might not be worth the money from what i was reading people are paying upwards to twenty thousand to eighty thousand dollars this kind of got me interested in the psychology of things why do you think people are paying that much yeah it made me kind of sad because i i just looked around and i saw like the people they targeted were like mostly lower income or like minority people and it's like you know if you tell somebody that hasn't seen over like fifty thousand dollars in a year for example hey you know sign up with this and we could make you five hundred thousand like you know 10x your current income like that's mind-boggling right and if you've never had that opportunity before obviously you're going to be like yeah of course sign me up you know um but i i just saw it was like a lot of manipulation uh, a lot of like you know let's hype you up let's tell you change your mindset and change your mindset on the importance of mentoring and why you should be paying for it and then we'll talk about pricing after you know we'll talk about financing after <laughs> and i don't know i just I, I thought it was slimy um it left a very bad impression and you know didn't go back <laughs> Like, I also resonate, like, I didn't go to a Robert Kiyosaki session like you did, but I notice a lot in my daily life is when I'm going on, like, YouTube or Instagram, you see those ads pop up of maybe, like, being a day trader, take this course, and you'll be able to quit your 9 to 5. It seems like there's a lot of different Robert Kiyosakis out in the world. How do you filter information to see if it's credible or not? Maybe people may not have... An analytics or finance background like you and I have, what are some of the red flags they should look for? Um, if they're asking you to pay to learn their secrets, it's no longer a secret. So if it's a strategy that they use, like let's say it's a stock strategy or real estate or whatever it is, if they used it once and then now they're quote unquote teaching everybody to do it, everybody's going to be doing it, you know? So like you're potential margin goes down significantly so i don't know the way i see it is like let's say you figure something out it worked for you and then now you're trying to teach people and you're charging them for it uh chances are you're making money off of teaching them i think they play a lot on emotions um at these events and these programs and these ads like it's it's very much like let me get you riled up and get you to say yes to a bunch of small things and then when it comes to the big thing you'll be so like used to saying yes that you'll be okay with it like that was pretty much like the strategy that they used at the at the event that I went to. And it seems like in finance, the psychology side of things and behavior isn't really talked about a lot. Like for you, managing personal finance, how do you manage your emotions so that you can set yourself up for financial independence? That's a good question. I, I'm not perfect at that. Like I've definitely done things being emotional. Like let's say you're on a winning streak and you think you're going to keep winning. I think that's common, like if you're trading, by no means am I perfect for this, but um, typically I like to like journal or meditate or just be calm, really, and then be able to look at things objectively and, you know, try not to like overreact or overstate or understate a probability. I think just being in the right headspace is important because like, it's, it's easy to get caught up. Let's say you doubled your money once and it's easy to think like, oh, if I put in only 5% of my net worth and I doubled it, what if I put in 50% of my net worth? Okay. It can, but that's not guaranteed. So I think that's also important to look at. Plus, I guess to add on to that is it's not really one size fits all, right? Like maybe some people, they might 
be more open to taking more risks than others. Maybe they might do like the GameStop type stuff. <laughs> or maybe they might be more on the the less riskier route. Maybe maybe they put it into an ETF and things like that. I think this kind of transitions to my next question for you, Brandon. How would you describe yourself like when you get money? Are you a spender, a saver? Well, I've been trying to get more comfortable spending. Like I guess how I grew up, it was very much like, you know, you make money, you pay whatever expenses you need and then you save the rest. So it's kind of hard for me to like go out sometimes or like buy things for myself. Like I'm trying to like get okay with it, which it feels kind of weird to say that, but but yeah, I would say overall, uh, I would consider myself a saver um, when it comes to like getting money. And then, you know, I guess through learning about finance, it's like I went from a saver to now like an investor where I try to like invest more money. Um, and then I also am cautious about like, liquidity in the sense that if I invest something, when can I pull it out? Or, you know, like, could I, if I had an emergency where I needed to pull this money out, can I do that within 10 days? Or would it take like, you know, over a year, for example? Um, so I think those are things that are important to look at, like, just being aware of like, how much you would need for an emergency fund, and like, how much you would actually want to invest. Mm-hmm. Any of those things really requiring, like, like you said, being in the right headspace, not really acting impulsively, thinking about your own plan at the end of the day, does that work for the life that you're trying to lead? I think that's a really important point. I wanted to transition over to the professional journey. Like for you, being a first-generation Hispanic student, you mentioned that you were the first to break into corporate America. What was that experience like for you when you're really kind of leading yourself at the forefront and not maybe having a sibling ahead of you to kind of like be your North Star? How, how did it kind of feel navigating that path for you? That's a good question. I would say being lost and kind of shooting everywhere, you know, until something stuck. I think I didn't even consider corporate America until I got to college. Um, I joined a finance organization. I saw everybody was like super diehard for getting into banking. I was like, okay, this, this might be kind of cool. Like, it seems like they make good money. Um, seems like they have good like upside potential down the line. Like, what is this whole corporate America thing? Like, let me learn about this. So it was pretty much just going to meetings, learning about like what the industry entailed. And then I think the more important thing for me was I would like I was like a freshman and I would seek out like let's say juniors and seniors that I already knew that had offers. Because um, I was like, okay, I could pick people's brains that are like my age, like freshmen, sophomores, but they're in the same boat as me. Like they don't know anything that I wouldn't know. So I, I tried to look out for people that were wiser and had more experience. So, you know, pretty much just meet people, tell them, you know, if you're hungry, you want to learn. And a lot of times people like that and they're like, yeah, someone helped me. So I'll be happy to help you. And I think it's like, you know, a constant giving thing, like someone helped you. So it's your, it's your duty to like give back sometime in the future. Yeah, I think that's super important, just being able to be involved in organizations because I myself, I was a community college student and like transferring over, it felt very scary because I didn't really know too many people at San Jose State, but I saw like events and not a lot of people would go to them. I'm kind of surprised, but like networking events, alumni panels, I would just go there and similar to you, I just like pick their brains. I'd message them after like, hey, I saw you're at this panel. I'm a, I'm a fellow Spartan. I'd love to pick your brain and have a chat. And I think a lot of people 
they might feel intimidated to reach out because maybe they feel as if oh they're a student they can't really provide value what would you say to like encourage more students to utilize resources outside of the class so i guess create their own luck and that they can indeed give value what are your kind of thoughts on that in terms of networking there's a quote that i really like the expert in anything was once a beginner right so if you're looking at somebody that you think is super impressive at anything in life really um they started somewhere like at one point they were in your shoes where they didn't know anything so i think like putting that into perspective like okay if they went through it what's holding me back from doing it too and in terms of your other question of adding value you can always add value like just showing up is adding value like you know maybe you're challenging the status quo because you have no idea how they do things and you know you're just thinking like oh intuitively this is how i would do it and maybe like you know, that's something that they didn't think of before because they're so ingrained in like their previous processes, right? Like, I think it's super valuable to have new eyes coming into things just because like they don't have the same like preconceived notions that people that are like experts in a field may have. So I, I don't think you should ever kind of look at yourself like I'm adding no value. I think you should look at it as like I'm learning and if anything, like I'm helping them look at things in a different way and if let's say I added zero value in terms of like, you know, actually helping them or whatever, it probably makes them feel pretty good to help somebody out. Like at least on, on my end, like it's super gratifying when you help somebody like land a job or get an internship or, you know, get through a class or whatever it is. Like it's fulfilling to help people. So, you know, if anything, look at it like that way. Yeah. I also agree. Like, I think that's a good mindset to have in terms of not feeling you have to be the perfect person and then reach out to that person having that humility like hey i'm still trying to figure out what i'm trying to do in college i also noticed maybe we went to the same school i'd love to have a chat with you if that was all right i'm curious to learn more about maybe marketing or sales i think having that curiosity people appreciate it because they want to share their experiences and also give back like you said and i also think um one thing i wanted to add to that is like also on the kind of strategy side is like if you want to reach out to somebody, tell them why you want to reach out. Like I've had a lot of people uh, just send me connection requests or just tell me like, hey, I want to hop on a call. But like they give me zero context. So chances are I'm going to say no. But if you tell me like, hey, I like these specific things uh, and I want to talk about these two things uh, because I'm currently you know, in this boat, I think it's super valuable. Like when you reached out to me, you told me exactly what you were looking to get out of it. And like you pinpointed things that like you did your research. And I was like, OK, this is impressive. Like I'm down. <laughs> I'm glad it worked out. <laughs> but um, I wanted to follow up and ask you, what are some mistakes that you've, common mistakes you've noticed students make when it comes to networking? I would say the biggest thing is to be authentic, like be human, you know? Humans like to talk to humans. If you sound super robotic and you're asking like questions that somebody, you know, that you can search up online, you know, you're, you're not making good use of, of either person's time. You know, like for example, somebody wants to like reach out to me, if they have questions that they could just Google, then like, you know, Google it. Why do you need to hop on a call with me? But if it's a question like specific that you can't just search online because it's, you know, for example, my experience, then it's like, okay, yeah, 100% down to talk. Um, so yeah, I, I back to your main question. I would say just be authentic, you know, have, have genuine questions that like you wanna know instead of being like, hey, how can I use this person to get a recommendation letter? You know, be more open, like what is their job like, you know? 
uh, how did they get there? Like, what challenges did they face? Like, things that you're going to be going through, I think is super valuable. I don't like how you mentioned almost detaching from the outcome. I think a lot of people, they might come in going with, oh, I want to reach out to this person as like a means to an end, I guess. Like, oh, I want to use them for a referral instead of, oh, I may not get a referral, but I might get, I might get a friendship. I think it's better to view things in that sort of context because it's more, like you said, authentic and genuine rather than transactional. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause people can read when you're fake. Um, you know, I don't think it's, I think it's easy to tell when somebody is like, you know, very robotic and they're like reading off a script. So, you know, if you act like a human and you talk to a human, like a human, chances are you're going to build a real relationship. And like that actually might help you get to your end goal faster than like going with a, a very like strict, like I'm going to network with this recruiter and this hiring manager because I want to get this job. You know, it can be more, hey, I just want to, like, meet some people at the company, see if I like them, you know, see if I can see myself working there. Just to transition over to interviewing, you're now at Google, but I was reading from one of your Medium articles that when you interviewed at Google, like, you didn't over-prepare, you came in there being genuine. I guess, like, what are some advice you'd give to students when it comes to interviewing? so that they can, I guess, not be so robotic and very rehearsed and being too overly prepared. It's like you're not really being genuine in terms of how you think. You're kind of fitting yourself to a mold that's not you. Yeah, I think it's a great question. You know, do you like the overall culture? Are they, do they value the same things you value? Like, I think those are important things. And in terms of the interview itself, I don't know. I think when it comes to interviewing, I try to look at it. I used to look at it like a one-way street. Like, they're interviewing me for this role. But now I think interviewing is very much a two-way street. Like you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. Like you want to see if you can actually, you know, sit next to this person for eight hours a day. Like, would you be comfortable or like, would you get annoyed? I guess technical questions. Yeah. You know, you have to prepare. It's what you need for the job. But when it comes to anything else, just being authentic, I think it goes a long way. And I think every interview that I've done well in, it's been because I kind of just detach and just see them as another person and just want to talk to them. But when I kind of kept like game face on, they kept their game face on and then it becomes a very like transactional, okay, you mentioned this thing on your resume. Tell me about it. You talk about it. Okay, cool. And then boom, it's just back and forth rather than like a flowing kind of conversation. And I think um, that was one thing that I saw that was like super valuable when it came to Google. I think their interview, they asked me questions that I wasn't asked at any other uh, interview. And I was like, okay, these are questions that are actually making me think instead of like something that I kind of had to rehearse prior to the interview. So I really liked it. And I was like, huh, I think this is the place for me. Yeah, I, I like how you mentioned that it felt comfortable during the interview when it was more conversational rather than question one okay you answer that one okay next question it's like hard transition it's like it feels sort of transactional but again to each their own it it, it kind of goes back to what you said in terms of yeah they're interviewing you for the role but you're also in a way interviewing them for the fit is this a company that i could see myself working at rather than just oh i'm just trying to get the role at the end of the day i think once you're in that actual role day to day it's important to take those all those things into account how they treat you during the process Maybe the different people you're able to interview with. Can you 
I guess, vibe with them and be able to collaborate with them. This transitions well to my next question for you, Brandon, in terms of leadership. I approached you, I, I did a unique way of tagging you. I, I noticed in one of your posts, you, talk, you tagged them, Jocko Willink and David Goggins. And what's crazy is the timing. I did not plan this, but on my LinkedIn feed, I followed Lex Fridman. And right after I saw the your Medium post, I saw Lex interviewed Jocko. And I was like, wait, I think Brandon might like this. So I just tagged you and I shot my shot. And you actually surprisingly <laughs> replied and you're like, well, what the heck is this dude? And it's actually helpful because you, you're a big fan of him. How, how have David Goggins and Jocko Willink impacted your leadership style? The biggest takeaways I've gotten from them is to lead means to take ownership over things. Instead of blaming, it means if you're the leader, everything falls on you, even if it's like a subordinate. When you take ownership or when the whole team takes ownership, your job is to look over those subordinates. So like if you want everybody to start getting up early, more gets done because you're not pointing fingers at why things went wrong. Everyone steps up to the plate. And I think that's super valuable. And when it comes to Goggins, I think his thing with leadership is more so like be the example. And I think that's been super powerful. You want something to get done. You want the team to step up to do something. Set the example. You get there early and you showcase like, hey, I can do it. Why can't you? I mean, I haven't necessarily been in the position to do this yet. But just in general, I think it adds a lot of value. Like even, if, for example, I go to the gym. I have a fitness page with my friend and it'll be like, he's slacking off, but like, I'm still going and I'm like, all right, you know, my job is to post. So I'm going to be posting content at the gym and then that motivates him to keep coming, you know? Yeah, I like how you have like a fitness page with your friend. It's almost like, I think I saw this from like Steph Curry, but it's like iron sharpens iron. Like if you see someone yeah. else, you see someone else slacking off, it's like, hey, I'm getting my reps in. I thought you were supposed to get your reps in too. So kind of like being able to push each other to become better versions of themselves, I think is super important. I wanted to go back to what you said with the Jocko point. You mentioned extreme accountability. And I also resonate with that, with what Jocko said. It's almost his philosophy is like, I guess in a sense, is if the team fails, it's on me as the leader. If the team succeeds, it was because of all of us. I guess any thoughts you wanted to add in terms of that extreme accountability? Yeah, I think it takes a strong gut. Uh, I think it takes a lot of uh, letting go of your ego, which I think is one of the hardest things for anybody to do. Um, I think it's very easy to like get caught up with status and position or whatever the case may be and let it get to your head. I think the strongest thing that a leader can do, like I'll give you an example. Um, guy, Louis Carbonell, he was my, I worked at the startup my freshman summer and he was the one of the co-founders and he was just like that. Like if anything went right, he was like, Guys, you guys did awesome. Like, you guys pulled through, did all these things, and, you know, we completed the task. While, like, if anything goes wrong, it's like, don't worry. Like, this is on me. And I think that sets such a strong example because then the whole team, like, if the leader is doing that, the whole team tends to emulate that. And then it becomes a culture of everyone takes ownership over their mistakes and everyone gives kudos to the team when things go right. And I think it's super valuable. I guess to add on to that too, like I noticed this with like, I think Jeff Bezos, he said a quote like, oh, we don't look at stock price because if the stock goes up 30%, you don't want to feel 30% smarter. And if the stock goes down 30%, you don't want to feel 30% dumber. <laughs> so I think he kind of put into perspective like, hey, we got to keep innovating. We can't just stay complacent after a great quarter. 
be happy of the small milestones, but don't sit up at the top too long because there's another hill that we got to overcome later. And I think the, the thing that I also try to look at is like where you're at now is a result of, you know, what you've been doing consistently over whatever time frame. So I think keeping that in perspective, you are your habits, meaning like what you do every day is who you become. So I think putting that in perspective and making sure to like follow through on that is super valuable. And that's something that I'm not perfect at. Like at all um but i try my best to like keep that in perspective and like stay consistent on the things that i want to improve on i wanted to see if you could dig deeper on in terms of habits like i heard um a very famous venture capitalist keith or boy he kind of said this funny quote it's like show me your google calendar and i'll show you if you'll be successful or not <laughs> uh, <laughs> i wanted to ask in terms of how do you build stronger habits so that in the long term it could set you up for success Oh, I think the biggest thing really is set a very small barrier to entry. So like if your goal is to, like, I guess in my case would be blogging, I might have like a great idea of how great I want this blog to be. And then it becomes so daunting that you're just like, oh man, I don't even know where to start. I'm just not going to start. And then like you end up procrastinating and not even doing anything. If you set the bar super low where I think there was like one writer that talked about it. It was like, write one crappy sentence per day. Right. So like, you're like, okay, I'm going to fail. Like, I'm going to write something terrible and no one's going to want to read it. I'm not going to even want to read it. You're going to get there, you'll write it, and you'll be like, all right, that was one sentence. Let me try one more sentence. And then another. And then all of a sudden, you start getting into the flow state. And then, boom, you got it, you know? I think getting into that is probably the hardest thing that I'm trying to work on, but uh, super powerful. There's a book that I would recommend. It's called Atomic Habits. I, I haven't followed everything in the book, but uh, when I did read through it, I think it was super powerful. I would say some some general rules of thumb would be what you measure becomes what you stay consistent in. Um, just because like if you're seeing, have I been doing this? Like have I been going to the gym every day, or have I only gone two days this week? Like you'll keep note of that, and then you'll be like, okay, you know, I know whether or not I've, I've been working out. So you can't lie to yourself. Numbers don't lie. And then when it comes for habits, for me, I think I do a few tools. I have I have like two whiteboards um, where like I'll prioritize things like must do, could do, should do. Uh, and then the other one that I'm using for Google is like do, schedule, delegate, or eliminate. Um, so I'll, I'll just kind of categorize things in terms of like how high priority is this right now. Google Calendar is super important. I think I use that uh, to structure out my life. Like if that didn't exist, um, I would probably miss out on most meetings and most events in my life. <laughs> yeah, I like how you said like just showing up and getting started even though it may suck at first to still keep pounding the pavement and just pushing through. It reminded me of this quote. I pulled it up. It's from James Cleary, but he said, unfinished projects can't compound. And that kind of made me think of how it's important to still push through, even if at the beginning you may not see, you may not see the progress because it's very small and gradual, but if you stop completely, everything else will stop and you may not have been able to see what you could have become. Yeah. hundred percent. I think Ogden also talks about that too. Like work on yourself when you're thinking you're going to quit, like chances are you can keep going. And if you keep going, you end up reaching heights that you didn't think you could have gotten to. And I think, you know, that's super powerful. That's interesting. You mentioned like reaching new heights. And I think this is a good transition to mentorship. I wanted to ask, because one of my friends, he has a great quote, like, um, 
people ahead of us have helped pave the way for us to be successful. I think another quote is like, we stand on the shoulders of giants in order to like see further. I was curious, Brandon, when I mentioned the word mentor, who are some mentors that have impacted your life and have stuck with you? You mentioned, I think one previously, I think it was, don't call me on it, but Brandon Carbonell. Are there any oh, other Lewis. mentors? The Lewis Carbonell. Are yeah. there any other mentors that you'd like to give a shout out to? And what are some of the lessons that have stuck with you from them? Yeah, I think um, I've had different mentors throughout different stages in my life. And I think every one of them has been super valuable. Growing up, my dad, I, I think super key. Um, he taught me a lot. He advised me a lot. Um, my grandparents had a lot of it, like a strong example for me. I think throughout like schooling, I had one teacher. Her name was Miss Who. Uh, absolutely amazing. Like she went out of her way to teach us. And, you know, I couldn't be more thankful for people like her. And then now, like, when it came to college, uh, this guy, Rob Piloto Sanchez, I, I gave him a shout out on one of my LinkedIn posts because, like, he was the guy when I was a freshman that I had no idea about banking or anything. He, like, took me under his wing, uh, gave me a resume template, threw me opportunities, and was like, go. Like, I know you're not ready to fly, but, you know, figure out how to fly on the way down. <laughs> um, and then I, I mentioned Louis Carbonell because uh, I worked with him uh, my freshman summer uh, through, a, through a startup. And he was the first one that taught me really like you can be successful and you don't have to be like in a suit and tie. Like he was like a developer and was super smart, super humble. And I was like, wow, you can actually be successful and not be, you know, an a-hole to people. I thought that was super valuable. So I was like, okay, you know, I like this. So that, that kind of stuck with me and I try to emulate that. Shout out to all the mentors that have impacted your life, Brandon. It's awesome to hear like how far you've come, but also what you're going to be able to accomplish in the future. But it really is almost like you said, not so much a big event that happened in one day. It was the small accumulation of encounters and also like what you've learned from your family that have helped propel you to become better in your life. I wanted to transition to work-life balance. Like how do you kind of define work-life balance? If you don't prioritize yourself, nobody else will. For me, for example, it's like I prioritize my sleep, I prioritize the gym, I prioritize time to like journal. Uh, those are three things that I need every day. And, you know, let's say that's 12 hours out of my day, right? So I need 12 hours for myself to do things uh, for me to be as productive and happy uh, as I can be. And I don't think it's worth sacrificing that for any job. If I make that clear to, you know, my boss, my manager, my coworkers, my family, whoever the case may be, People understand that and people respect that if you respect it for yourself. I like that. Prioritize yourself. I guess in terms of like with COVID, there's been so much uncertainty. It's also given a lot of people time to self-reflect on their lives and how they can edit their lives to become better. I wanted to ask like with all that's been going on, Brandon, how do you find gratitude in your life? Yeah, I don't think it was until COVID that I actually started journaling. And like, I used to think it was kind of dorky and I was like yeah that's not for me and then I started you know like I, I saw like a video on it or something and I was like all right you know whatever I'll give it a try and um I actually remember the video it was a channel by Kurzgesagt it's like a educational like science channel um and they, they had like a thing on gratitude journaling and then I was like you know what I really like the channel I'll support them I'll get the I'll get their journal like why not and I started trying it and I was like huh and I found like a month later I was like consistently happy and I was like I mean, generally I was a happy person, but like 
you know, you have your highs and lows. And I, I felt like all of a sudden I, I was like having more consistent highs and it was kind of like, oh, this is, this is pretty cool. I like this. Um, so it just became like positive reinforcement. I like how I felt. So I kept doing it. Um, and the other thing is like, I, I call it a brain dump journal, which is just like literally a journal to write down your thoughts. Like if I have five things in my head, they're bouncing around and I feel overwhelmed, I end up doing nothing. Like I don't tackle any of them. But if I write them down and then I can categorize what is high priority, what is low priority, all of a sudden it becomes super digestible. And I'm like, oh, okay, this can wait till next week. This, I can do it by the end of the week. This, I need to get done by today. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know what your task is for the day. Um, so I think that's that's pretty why I like journaling, just because like it helps me digest problems. It helps me decongest like and feel more at ease. It's cool to hear like with your practice of journaling, you've experienced just being happier, more productive. And also it seems to be able to clarify your thoughts more, maybe in terms of writing too, with your was it brain brain dump journal. <laughs> oh, I know I know we're catching it on time, Brandon. So I'm gonna transition now to our rapid fire round. Does that sound good? Yeah, no worries. But um first okay. question is if you could fly up with space, who would you choose? Richard Branson? Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and also since you work for Google, also put in Sundar Pichai. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have to go with Elon, uh, just because like, I think, <laughs> I love that he's a memer on top of like being super successful and super smart. Like, I just respect that. <laughs> okay, next question is, if you were to eat any food for the rest of your life, what would you choose and why? Okay, I, I want to go Mediterranean just because like I'm on the fitness grind and like, you know, I think it's, it's super healthy. But uh, if I had to choose like a restaurant, there's this place in South Florida called Bole. Uh, absolutely love that place. Like I want to, I want them to sponsor me and I could like <laughs> eat there every day. <laughs> <laughs> what type of food do they serve? Uh, it's like a better Chipotle. That's how I describe it. It's like more, more flavor and more like, I don't know. It's just better. That's all I'm gonna say. What's <laughs> mm. it called, uh, Brule? Bole, B-O-L-A-Y. Okay. If you're yeah. listening from Florida, check out Bole. <laughs> Tell them Brandon sent you. Maybe they'll give you a discount. <laughs> What's your go-to order for for uh, at Bule? Oh, uh, Bole. All right. So you're gonna get a large bowl, half spinach, half noodles. You're gonna get beans, mushrooms, double teriyaki chicken, um, these little like balsamic to tomatoes. Um, cilantro and then the cilantro pesto sauce on the side gas yeah, that sounds like a good post-workout meal right there <laughs> yeah, i need to check that out if i'm ever in florida okay next question rapid fire around if you could choose anyone to go to dinner with in history maybe you'll take them out to boule <laughs> who would you choose oh, and why man anyone i can take out to dinner oh man this is a good question man i might go with nikolai tesla just because like that guy was just such a genius and everything was taken away from him. I don't know. I would just want to pick his brain on like how he approached things. Like that guy is super impressive. I think that's an awesome way to wrap up Brandon, I guess to so just to conclude for our listeners who want to connect with you, what is the best way for them to connect with you on social media? Yeah, probably LinkedIn uh, or Instagram. I think those are the two main things that I use. Um, they're both at Brandon Bedoya, B-R-A-N-D-E-N, Bedoya, B-E-D-O-Y-A. Um, so, yeah, I mean, feel free to reach out. 
awesome. Thank you so much, Brandon. Alrighty, Josh. Thank you.